hello, and welcome to Things That Make You Go Woo. I'm your host, Emily Barnard, also known as Emily and Her Stars. I'm a medium, an astrologist, an Akashic Records reader, an artist, and an all-around just silly and curious gal. In this podcast, I'll be sharing the things and people I find fascinating, funny, and inspirational. Things that I hope will certainly make you go woo, too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode titled, That Friday Feeling. In our traditional work week, nothing fills an employee's heart with more happiness than hearing the word Friday. In fact, we even tend to thank God for it. We plan our entire week sometimes for that precise moment when we can leave work and begin our weekend that Friday afternoon. That is, unless Friday happens to be on the 13th day of the month, Friday the 13th can send chills down your spine. Or if you're like my Canadian grandpa, maybe it's your lucky day. But why has Friday the 13th taken on such a scary persona? You know this is exactly the kind of question I love. So let's start off with the fear of the number 13, or as it's sometimes known, triskaidekaphobia. Now, some cultures, including the ancient Egyptians, actually considered the number 13 lucky. While in other cultures, they maybe just swapped the numbers out as the base of their phobias. For example, in much of the East and in Southeast Asia, where tetraphobia is the norm, you'd be hard pressed to find much use at all of the number four. Now, this stems from the fact that in Chinese and Chinese based languages, the word for four and death have very similar sounds. In Western cultures, we have historically associated the number 12 with completeness. It's the number of years required for a full cycle of the planet Jupiter. And Jupiter is historically considered to be the brightest wandering star in the night sky, hence the number of months in a solar calendar. The 12 Olympians were the principal gods of the Pantheon, and they were preceded by 12 Titans. Hercules carried out 12 labors. In the Hebrew Bible, Ishmael, the firstborn son of Abraham, had 12 sons, as did the chief Norse god, Odin. King Arthur was said to have subdued 12 rebel princes and won 12 great battles against Saxon invaders. There are 12 months, 12 zodiac signs. An analog clock is divided into 12. 12 days of Christmas, 12 faces in the deck of cards, 12 inches in a foot, 12 packs of soda. There are 12 pairs of ribs in a human body, 12 strikes in a perfect game of bowling. Jesus had 12 disciples, 12 men have walked on the moon. There are 12 grades of school to complete. The list goes on and on. We love 12. Honestly, poor 13. I mean, following so much perfection, the number never even stood a chance. And truly, that is where some of the bad luck lore may have stemmed from. 13 was never going to live up to the fame of 12. But if that's the case, then why isn't 11 as seen as problematic? We don't fear 11. In fact, it can even be seen as lucky too. 
So let's tumble down the rabbit hole and look into some of the possible disastrous routes for the number 13. The earliest historical evidence we have for poor 13 is in the ancient Code of Hammurabi. The Code of Hammurabi was one of the earliest and most complete written legal codes and was proclaimed by the Babylonian king Hammurabi. Now he reigned from approximately 1792 to 1750 BC, and he was quite the king. He expanded the city-state of Babylon along the Euphrates River to unite all of southern Mesopotamia. And the Hammurabi Code of Laws was a collection of 282 rules which established the standards for commercial transactions and also set fines and punishments seen fit to meet the requirements of justice for the time. For example, the code provides some of the earliest samples of the laws of retribution, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It contains rules like if a man steals an ox, then he must pay back 30 times its value. The orders range from family law to professional contracts and administrative law, even outlining different standards of justice for the three classes of Babylonian society. The doctor's fee for curing a severe wound would be 10 silver shekels for a gentleman, five for a freedman, and two for a slave. Although other discovered laws written in the Mesopotamian Valley from the Sumeria or the Ur predate Hammurabi's code by hundreds of years, Hammurabi's reputation remains as a pioneering lawgiver who worked, in the words of his own monument, to prevent the strong from oppressing the weak and to see that justice is done to widows and orphans. I like this guy. Now, his code did include many harsh punishments, the cutting off of fingers, the loss of a tongue, you know, there were some some tougher issues here, but it's also one of the earliest examples of an accused person being considered innocent until proven guilty. The actual work of Hammurabi's code was carved into a massive finger-shaped black stone pillar that was technically discovered in 1901 by Jacques de Morgan, a French mining engineer. Now, he led an archaeological expedition to Persia, to excavate the Elamite capital of Susa. Susa was located a little more than 250 miles from the center of what would have been Hammurabi's kingdom. Here, Jacques and his team uncovered the pillar, but it had been broken into three pieces and likely brought to Susa as the spoils of war between the Elamite king and Hammurabi. So Jacques packed up the pillar and shipped it to the Louvre in Paris, And within a year, it had been translated and widely publicized as the earliest example of written legal code, one that predated but bore striking parallels to the laws outlined in the Hebrew Old Testament. And there's a fun side note here. The U.S. Supreme Court building actually features some Hammurabi code on the marble carvings on the south wall of the courtroom. Okay, okay, I know. But what does all of this code have to do with the number 13? Okay, on this incredibly detailed, hand-carved, ancient marvel, the monument contains no 13th law. Some scholars say it was a simple clerical error, an omission, an oversight, 
Other scholars say 13 was left off intentionally. My personal feeling about this? In no way could something so basic, so simple, be an oversight. How would that have been tolerated? This was far too important of a piece to have such a mistake. And it's not like the mistake was hidden way down at, say, number 173. Nope, right up front in the top 20. (laughs) Nevertheless, 13 could have started its unlucky path here. In ancient Norse history, there's a story that tells about the evil and turmoil that were first introduced into the world by the appearance of the treacherous and mischievous god Loki at a dinner party in Valhalla. He was the 13th guest, upsetting the balance of the 12 gods already in attendance. And now let's talk about all the trouble with the moon and femininity. In ancient cultures, the number 13 represented femininity because it corresponded to the number of menstrual cycles in a year. 364 days in a year, an average cycle is 28 days. 364 divided by 28 is 13. Oh my God, curse the heavens. Femininity and cursed luck at its absolute worst. As we moved away from a lunar calendar and the solar or Gregorian church calendar became the norm, the number 13 became cursed and far too feminine for the church. A year with 13 moons instead of 12 posed big problems for the monks in charge of the calendars. It was considered a very unfortunate circumstance as it upset the regular arrangement of church activities. A typical century has about 37 years that have 13 full moons compared to 63 years with just 12 full moons. Typically every third or fourth year has 13. In fact, in 2020, we had 13, But in 2021, we'll only have 12. Lucky or unlucky, I'm going to leave that one alone. (laughs) But ladies, I do think we need a society celebrating the number 13. So by now we can start to see that the number 13 is, for all intents and purposes, cursed. But how in the heck did poor Friday get drug into this? Well, for starters, the ancient Babylonians chose to organize their calendar around the seven days of the week. And each day corresponded to one of the seven planets visible to the naked eye. Now, technically, we don't call the sun and moon planets anymore. They're luminaries. But, you know, work with me here. (laughs) This is ancient Babylonia. Monday was associated to youthfulness and the moon. Tuesday was energy and Mars. Wednesday with worries was all about thinking and communication with Mercury. Thursday was travel and Jupiter, Friday with love and Venus, Saturday responsibility with Saturn, and Sunday the Sabbath was the sun. Yeah, wait a second. You heard that right. Friday is associated with love. What's wrong with that? Well, nothing except, well, okay, Venus represents love and represents femininity. And when you're running a church and trying to tamp down on all that goddess worship nonsense, then Friday becomes pretty evil. And it seems to begin right there in the Old Testament. Friday is said to be the day that poor old Eve gave Adam the fateful apple from the tree of knowledge. And it's also the day Cain killed his brother Abel. And it gets worse. 
The Last Supper is a prime example of not only Friday's failings, but the number 13 too. See, according to biblical tradition, on Maudie Thursday, Jesus and his 12 apostles attended the Feast of the Last Supper, where one of those guests proved extremely problematic, Judas. Not only did this guy arrive late, but as the ill-fated 13th guest took the 13th seat and is the very person who betrays Jesus and lays the foundation for his death on Good Friday. I mean, come on, dude, seriously? In Geoffrey Chaucer's famous Canterbury Tales, written in the 1300s, he says, And on a Friday fell all this mischance. Now, this could stem from the fact that Friday was also considered an unlucky day in Britain, because Fridays were once known as Hangman's Day. It was usually when people who had been condemned to death would be hung. Yeah, that certainly changes the thank goodness it's Friday outlook, doesn't it? (laughs) More trouble comes along for Friday when, on Friday, October 13th, 1307, the officers of King Philip IV of France arrested hundreds of the Knights Templar, who, if you don't know, were a powerful religious and military order formed in the 12th century to defend the Holy Land. Imprisoned on charges of various illegal behaviors, but really because the king just wanted access to their financial resources, many, many, many Templars were executed. Now, some scholars cite this Friday the 13th experience with the Templars as the origin of the superstition. But like many legends involving the Templars and their history, the truth kind of remains murky. But it certainly didn't do anything good to boost Friday the 13th's reputation. Now here's a fun one. In the 19th century, club life provided an easy way for you to go out and make friends, eat lavish meals, and in some cases engage in various goofy themed pursuits. We're talking Victorian era. They didn't have a lot going on. No Netflix and chill. Enter the New Yorker, Captain William Fowler. Like many men of his time, he had a great love for these social clubs. Although one of the clubs he belonged to was just him and a friend drinking boiling hot whiskey. (laughs) Anyway, with too much time and too much money, Fowler ends up purchasing his own watering hole, the Knickerbocker Cottage. Since he had only had this one friend willing to drink boiling whiskey, he knew he needed something slightly catchier to make his club stand out. Belonging to 13 clubs himself, including one with just his friend, (laughs) Fowler's brilliant idea is to remove the continuing stigma around the number 13 and particularly the unwritten rule about having 13 guests at a dinner table. Thanks for that, Judas. So to combat the fear of 13, Captain Fowler founded an exclusive society called the 13 Club. Now this group dined regularly on the 13th day of the month in the 13th room of his Manhattan Knickerbocker cottage. And before sitting down to an elaborate 13 course dinner and gravestone-shaped wine lists, members would have to pass underneath a ladder and a banner that read, Moratori Te Salutimus, Latin, forget this. Those of us who are about to die salute you. The atmosphere was funeral at best. This guy not only had a sense of humor, but he pushed all the superstitions of the time. 
They enjoyed mirror smashing, salt spilling, and even had a cake with a black cat on it. When members weren't tempting fate, they wrote to local officials asking them to rehabilitate Friday's unlucky reputation by asking these judges to select some other day for hangings. They racked up some high-profile honorary members, including four former U.S. presidents, Chester Arthur, Grover Cleveland, Benjamin Harrison, and Theodore Roosevelt. The club soon gained popularity, and one chapter in Coney Island brought in 400 attendees. Chapters sprung up in Chicago and France, England, all over the place. Now, when Captain Fowler passed away suddenly in 1897, the club life began to petter out. But some believe that the 13 club may have inadvertently been responsible for increasing exposure to the Friday the 13th. Although both Friday and the number 13 had been considered unlucky for centuries, it's possible that no one made a point of combining them as strongly until the 13 club. We do have to give the 13 club some positive credit though. A Times article from 1887 suggests that the club may have had a hand in creating the weekend. That year, Justice David McAdam, a 13 club branch president and member of New York City Court, declared Saturday an official half holiday during which public offices must close afternoon. He did this, he said, primarily to restore the esteem to Friday, a 13 club priority. In 1929, the Amalgamated Clothing Workers of America successfully demanded a five-day work week, and Friday cemented its place at the end of that work week. Another important milestone in the history of Friday the 13th legend occurred in 1907 with the publication of the novel Friday the 13th, written by Thomas William Lawson. It tells the story of a New York City stockbroker who plays on superstitions around Friday the 13th to create chaos on Wall Street and make a killing on the market. This may in part be why, in 1911, a term was coined specifically to recognize the fear of 13, triskaidekaphobia. The great Austrian-American composer Schoenberg developed a 12-tone system of musical composure, and he also had a severe case of triskaidekaphobia. He purposely omitted numbering the 13th measure in some of his later works, substituting it instead with the notation 12a or 12b. He was also reportedly deeply afraid of dying on a year or at an age that was a multiple of 13. When he turned 76, a colleague suggested it could be an unlucky year for Schoenberg because... 7 plus 6 equals 13. In fact, it did prove to be a rough year for Schoenberg as he passed away on, wait for it, and I kid you not, Friday the 13th of July, 1951. Unlucky? Maybe he manifested the very thing he was the most terrified of. Also, what kind of colleague points out 13 to a triskaidekaphobia sufferer? Obviously not a friend. The horror movie Friday the 13th, released in 1980, introduced the world to a hockey mask-wearing killer named Jason, 
and it's perhaps the best known example of the famous superstition in modern pop culture. The movie has spanned multiple sequels, as well as comic books, video games, and countless terrifying Halloween costumes. Now, tragic events have occurred on Friday the 13th, but not at a greater rate than any other day. Yes, Tupac was killed, cyclones have killed people, ships have crashed, but no one single incident leads us to unite them all in our dread of the day. According to the Stress Management Center and Phobia Institute in Asheville, North Carolina, an estimated 17 to 21 million people in the United States are affected by a fear of this day, making it the most feared day and date in history. Some people are so paralyzed by fear that they avoid their normal routines in doing business, taking flights, or even getting out of bed. A great example of this is in 1976, when New Yorker Daz Baxter was apparently so afraid of Friday the 13th, he decided the safest place to stay was in his bed. Mr. Baxter was killed when the floor of his apartment block collapsed that day. It's been estimated that eight to 900 million US dollars are lost in business on Friday the 13th. Despite this, representatives for both Delta Airlines and United Airlines have stated that their airlines don't suffer at all from any noticeable drop in travel on those days. <laughs> sure, sure, I totally believe you. The Dutch Center for Insurance Statistics stated in June of 2008 that fewer accidents and reports of fire and theft occur when the 13th of the month falls on a Friday because people are preventively more careful or just choose to stay home. Statistically speaking, driving is slightly safer on Friday the 13th, at least in the Netherlands, where in the last two years, Dutch insurers received reports of an average 7,800 traffic accidents each Friday, but that figure fell to just over 7,500 when the 13th fell on a Friday. So now that we know some of the difficulties that 13 faces, I wanted to share some of the luckier aspects of 13. In the Hindi language, 13 is called Tera, which means yours. It represents your karmas. There are 13 postures of Tai Chi, in angelic numbers, 13 says, ascended masters ask you to stay positive and give them any fears or doubts that they can heal and transmute for you. In tarot, the number 13 brings the test, the suffering and the death. And like I discussed with Sophie in the episode Tarot Bites, the death card is all about transforming and letting go of something in order to make room for something even better. In France, 13 is considered a lucky number and used as a good luck symbol on postcards and charms. In fact, as soon as there is a Friday the 13th on the calendar, the National Lottery in France organizes a special drawing because it's seen as the best day to bet money. In Koporos religion, this is a small culture in Brazil, 13 is a god number that will save humankind. The 13th loaf of bread is called the Vantage Loaf because it's considered advantageous overall to get 13 loaves for the price of 12. 13 is a star number and is one of the oldest mathematical symbols for the Star of David. Think the image of a Chinese checkerboard. There were 13 original U.S. colonies, 
Thirteen Treasures of Britain are a series of magical items listed in late medieval texts. The Virgin of Fatima in 1917 appeared on the 13th day of six consecutive months. Thirteen's also associated with St. Anthony of Padua. His feast falls on June 13th. And 13 Tuesdays of St. Anthony involves praying to the saint every Tuesday over 13 weeks. In Judaism, 13 signifies the age at which a boy matures and becomes a bar mitzvah, a full member of the Jewish faith. 13 is also the number of principles in the Jewish faith. So the number 13 is rooted in the very stories of man and womankind. In my research for this story, I'm most profoundly touched by the idea that 13 is in fact a feminine number, representing our cycles and creation. How fitting that something so beautiful and so rooted in goddess energy would be declared evil and scary. That's why this year I'm taking Friday the 13th back. It is no longer the day of hanging or the day when we remember the unwelcome 13th guest or the fact that we shared an apple and destroyed mankind. Rather, I'm choosing to celebrate the beauty of the number 13 in the cycles of the moon, in the cycles of my own womb. This day, like any other, is what we choose to make of it. Now go out there and manifest the best damn Friday ever. See you next time, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Things That Make You Go Woo. You can help me out by leaving a positive rating and a review wherever you downloaded this episode. Be sure and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Emily and Her Stars. You can also reach out via email anytime, emilyandherstars at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Things That Make You Go Woo.